In this edition of Dark Winter Nights, True Stories from Alaska, we bring you two stories from our live event back in November 2014. Yukon Quest champion dog musher Brent Sass tells the story of the first time he went caribou hunting and the hunter became the hunted. I'm like, bear, bear, and they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do this, let's do this. And I'm like, no, no, bear. And Bill Schnabel finds out that bringing home the bacon is a little bit harder than he thought it would be. And when that gun went off, she had a really thick, bony part of her head because of her 317 pounds, and she did not die. She looked at directly at Bjax because he had shot her. And then she looked directly at me because I had loved her. And she turned around and walked away to the middle of the yard. Stories about the Alaskan can-do spirit. Coming up next on Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska. I'm Rob Prince. I came to Alaska 14 years ago um, and uh, for with one goal, to live and be an Alaskan. Let's start off the show with Brent Sass. We asked him to tell us his favorite Alaskan story, and this is what he shared with us. I said, I'm just going to go start doing this stuff, and I had to find some buddies to go do it. And uh, I got this, uh, this, this group, a couple guys together, and we decided that we were going to go up, up north, way, way up north, and we were going to try and shoot some caribou. And we didn't really have any idea what we were doing, but we were going to try it. And, um, and these guys, um, they're two of my best friends now. One of them is, uh, you know, he's, he's a guy that I've done hundreds of trips with since that time. So um, Josh, I'm going to say it, Josh Horst, you guys probably all know him. <laughs> Matt Fravor is the other guy in the story here. You guys probably know these guys. So we drive all the way up the Hall Road. We got a canoe, one of those flatback canoes, more stuff than you can imagine, a little motor. And our whole plan is to go to Happy Valley. It's up, up on the Hall Road, and we're going to park there. We're going to just motor up the Sag River. Someone said it was a big river, but we figured we could, get, we could make it in this canoe. So we get going, and uh, we get there. We unload all of our stuff, and we put it all in there. And we're like, okay, where are we fitting? Where, do we, where are we going to go in this canoe now, you know? Like, <laughs> I guess we wanted to be prepared, and that's a good thing, right? You got to be prepared. But, you know, being prepared, <laughs> we were really prepared. We had the kitchen sink, and we were going into the middle of the wilderness. I was used to camping out of the truck, and so, you know, there was a transition zone, but we were learning. So we got in. I said, we're just going to make it happen. Get on top of that stuff, Matt. So... <laughs> Matt is in the middle, Josh is up in the front, he has a little hole to put his legs into so he can get kind of low. Matt's like sitting on top of bags in the middle of this canoe, and we push it out into this river, and it's a big river. And uh, we get it out there, and uh, those guys get in, and we push off into this river. And at this point, we've got about an inch of freeboard. An inch, maybe an inch. And, and these guys are like, oh, God, what are we doing? What are we doing, Brent? I'm like, don't look at me. I'm not the leader here. We're doing this together. But I'm going to make you do it. We're not turning around now. We just drove 300 miles up this road. So they believed in me. And I said, we're going to well, let's do it. We got in. I hit the gas on the five-horse motor. We're going up the Sag River now. Five-horse motor. And uh, <laughs> we, we look over on the bank as we're going up this river, and um, I'm we're, we're not moving forward, basically. <laughs> it's, 
it's <laughs> the current is too much and we got too much and these guys are like what are we doing what are we doing like they they're bracing because if they move in one way or the other we're going in the river and you never heard from Brent Josh or, or Matt ever again because we were done so plan B had to come up real fast we were not going to give up so we we picked the spot to go over it's kind of a cut bank on the shore so we motor over there I was able to go a little bit, you know, cross current. Got over there, slammed the boat up against the river and you're, I'm, I'm, or the bank, and I'm flooring the motor now because if you don't floor it, you just continue, you know, you go back down the river. So I'm flooring them like, get out, get out, get out, get out, you know. So they jump out, nothing. They, uh, Josh brought his gun, Josh brought his gun, and um, and Matt had some bear spray. So, but that was it. They had that in their pocket. They got off, and. Um, so, so now I, I shove back out, and I'm like, with you guys' weight on the bank, you guys just walk up the bank. We only got two miles. You can walk up the bank. The, the idea was is we were going to motor up this river and then line the canoe another five miles up some other river uh, in order to shoot some caribou and then come back down. So I figured they can walk the two miles. I'll get in the, mo in the river, and, and we'll be able to start making some good tracks. So I push back out in the river, and we're all joyous, and I, I'm making – a little bit of progress. The bank is, they're walking much faster than I'm going, but, <laughs> but we're making progress. So I'm excited. They're excited. You know, we're, we're doing it. We're out in the wilderness. There is not a soul for, I don't know, there, there may have been someone around the corner, but we felt like we were in the middle of nowhere. And I look up and I'm just scanning the tundra and the, will, the, the, the willows and all this beautiful, beautiful Alaska. And and uh, then I see a, a, a large grizzly bear. And um, it's, it's a ways away. It's probably 100 yards up kind of on this uh, little plateau overlooking my buddies that are walking on the bank now. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, bear, bear. And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. And I'm like, no, no, bear. So. Finally, I get their attention. They look up, and like their excitement goes from, oh, uh, what are we going to do? What, what are we doing? Brent, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I'm like, I don't know. Do you want to get back in the boat? <laughs> or, or do you want to risk, get, take your chances with the grizzly bear right now? And the grizzly bear is a long ways away at this point, and I'm kind of like, just deal with the grizzly bear, guys. And, you know, <laughs> we'll keep an eye on it. But they're like, get over here, get over here. So I motor over to the side and, uh, again, slam the boat into the side of the bank, revving it as fast as I could, as hard as I could. Otherwise, I was going to go away again. And I was like, Matt, grab, that, grab that, uh, that rope on the front of the boat. He turns on to grab the boat, and I hear, tss, I heard the tss, right? The wind blows, and I got, I got bear spray in my face, right? I hit the deck. I'm in the boat. I'm on, in, in, in the bottom of the boat now, coughing. But it was just a mild a mild spat, you know, it's not, wasn't too bad, but I'm like, <laughs> I can't see right now, and I'm, the, the boat is now flung all the way back around on the other side of the bank, and I'm, I'm leaning the other way, and though Josh is out there with his gun going, what are we going to do, what are we going to do, and Matt's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and I was like, I don't care, you know, How, where's the bear, how are we going to keep moving forward, i rubbing my eyes out, like I said, it was a pretty mild mild, you know, uh, spray. So we, 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 you know, we sort of adjust and the bear has now moved probably another 25 yards closer, 30 yards closer to us. And 
at that point, I was like, I don't, what do you guys want to do? You want to get back in the boat or do you want to keep on the shore? And, and, and they were both like, I think we should get in the boat. And, and, and I said, I don't think we should get in the boat because <laughs> we're all three going to die if we, if we go in this boat right now. We have a, a, a fighting chance against this grizzly bear. So, so we, uh, yeah, so um, I'm in the boat and uh, we need to get them in the boat. They think they need to get in the boat. And I was like, no, no, we're not going to get in the boat. Let's just push me back out and I'll stay close to shore. And, and, you know, we'll watch this grizzly bear. In the meantime, we're having this conversation. The bear's getting closer and closer and closer. And he's probably like 45 yards away now, standing up, looking at us. And uh, in the process, um, you know, we're still slammed against the river. There's a raging river going on right here. We're kind of yelling at each other. I don't, I mean, I know these guys pretty well, but this is like the beginning, right? This is the beginning. You spend all your time out in the wilderness with people. Um, and, and I hadn't spent a second in the wilderness with these people. And so we didn't have like a real good way to communicate. So in the end, <laughs> I just said, push me out again, push me out again. So I, I went and, um, told Matt to use the paddle to push me out. He pushed me out, but in the, in the, you know, the same motion, he was still holding the bear spray. And as he pushed out, he completely uh, like a four second spray right into my face so <laughs> now i've fallen back into the bottom of the boat and josh and 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 matt are on the bank are you okay are you okay you know josh has dropped his gun i'm starting to kind of float down into this little eddy here i'm in the boat i'm coughing i see nothing at this point my eyes are completely red and um, so we get off to the side, and we, we are, I'm like, I need to get out of this boat. Like, I can't see anything. If someone, someone else is going to have to drive the boat if we're going to do this. So I get out, and we're all sitting around, and Matt is just so scared that I'm just going to just clock him, you know, because I just got sprayed twice with bear spray in a matter of about four minutes. And uh, so I'm like, don't worry about it, Matt. Don't worry about it. Where's that bear? Where's that bear? You know, like... These two are so concerned with me, and I'm like, well, now the bear has gotten time to, like, you know, get closer and closer and closer, and, and we're worried about me uh, and my bear spray. And we, we all three kind of look up, and I, I don't see very well at this point. My eyes are just, you know, exploding. And, uh, but, but I do see a little bit, and, and, and we all look up, and, and there's this bear, and I'm not – this is this – is, God's honest truth. He stands up on his hind legs at about 35 yards away. This is a big bear, and at 35 yards, you're like, he could just come and eat us right now. And he got up, and he literally looked at us, shook his head, said, stupid humans, <laughs> went back on his hind, went back on all four legs, and just sauntered off away. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, all right, well, I guess we survived the bear, uh, the bear encounter, guys. Do you want to continue? And I think I had sort of taken the sails. We had all the sails were sort of out and uh, out of our out of our big party, and we decided to pack it up and, and, and go home. But um, my eyes watering to death. Somebody else. We actually pulled the canoe back up the river. We didn't really want to get into it <laughs> anymore. But I mean, the moral of the story is is that you got to have a beginning somewhere. Right, and, and you gotta take chances, and you gotta go adventure. That's what Alaska's for, and that's the reason I moved to Alaska. And so we talked about it the whole way back home. 
uh, in the truck. Like, we made mistakes before we left Fairbanks. We made mis we, 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 we had the biggest train wreck before we left Fairbanks all the way up the Hall Road with the canoe, with the bear, you know, but we had the time of our life and we just made the greatest adventure story you could possibly have. And Josh and I, my, my buddy there, um, and Matt was a little bit a part of it, but he was, he was still said, we can never tell this story, you guys. <laughs> we can never, ever tell this story. And, uh, and I said, I'm telling this story to everyone I know, Matt. <laughs> Only because it's, it's, it's the beginning of a huge epic adventure for all three of us. And, and I told them, and I was like, I'm going to continue making these stories and live in Alaska and learn from Alaska. You have to respect Alaska. That's the biggest thing that I learned from that story and everything else. Be prepared, but respect Alaska, and she'll give so much back to you. I've had so much adventures in Alaska, and um, just do it. That's the biggest thing I can leave here with tonight. Just do it. Thank you very much. Brent Sass. Three months after telling that story at our live event, Brent went on to win the Yukon Quest dog sled race. Congratulations again, Brent. And congratulations to you, because you've got a public radio station that airs locally produced programming. Why don't you take a second to let them know how much you appreciate that by giving them a call right now. This is Dark Winter Nights, true stories from Alaska, and we've got another hilarious story about the Alaskan can-do spirit from our live event back in November 2014. Bill Schnabel told us this story about what can happen when you try too hard to keep up with the Joneses. Kathy next door mentioned, you know, I think this year we're going to raise chickens. We're going to feed the neighborhood. And I said, not to be outdone, I said, oh yeah, Kathy? We're going to raise hogs. <laughs> One of the great things about Fairbanks, Alaska is the can-do spirit of its residents. If you want to mush dogs, all you need to do is work for a dog musher for a little while, get yourself a team, and pretty soon you're running the Iditarod. If, if you want to... if if you want to climb mountains, you drive south, you drive north, there's ranges both ways you can climb. If you want to build a house, you go to Spinards, get yourself some lumber, start hammering it together and see what comes up. <laughs> and if you want to raise hogs, you slap together a fence in your backyard, make some phone calls and you're a hog farmer. And that is exactly what we did. Over the course of that spring, we watched YouTube to, t to learn how to raise hogs. We read books and things of that nature. And I, I asked my friend, uh, Luke and Emily, if they would help me build a hog pen, and they did. We got electric fence and strung it around some trees. Then we, we, we built a house out of, out of plywood and some metal we had sitting in the garage. And, and finally, I built a trough out of lumber, and we were ready to go. I arranged, I called a guy named Jerry in North Pole, I had heard he has hogs. He got a truckload of hogs that he diverted from a life in a confined feeding operation in Canada, brought them here to North Pole and got them from them. So I went over to Jerry's house in early May, picked up three hogs, little guys, about 40 pounds, eight weeks old, little pink jobbies, threw them in the back of my truck inside of a dog kennel. They all fit into a single dog kennel at that point. I had three, but he stuffed them all in there. I brought them home. I won't go into too many details about what we learned that summer. We, we, I can summarize it in just a few simple rules. 
Rule number one, do not give your hogs clever names, for it will be difficult to kill them or at least arrange their death at the end of the summer. For our part, we named our hogs My Hammy, Ham I Am, and Francis Bacon. <laughs> Rule number two, do not grow attached to your hogs for the same reason as rule number one. Uh, Francis, uh, my hammy was the timid one. He would kind of back away and be afraid and, and you'd have to entice her over with some food. And uh, ham I am was the nice one, was the friendly one. Ham I am would come up to you and kind of rub her flanks against your leg and want you to scratch her belly and scratch her behind the ears. And, Frances Bacon was the aggressive one. She was, she was evil inside. She, was, she would come up and, and like headbutt you as you're trying to walk and feed her. And so you'd carry the slop bucket in and she'd be nudging you and tripping you. And if, 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 if our hogs were the three stooges, Frances Bacon would have been Mo, the one that is bossy and no one likes as much as the others. Rule number three, if you have children, do not expect them to embrace the hog farming lifestyle that you and your wife have embraced. Our children turned out to be embarrassed by our hogs. They did not want their friends to know that we had hogs. And when we said, children, go out and slop the hogs like they do on Little House on the Prairie, they said, no, we will not do this. In fact, Every morning, Cheryl would feed the hogs. Every afternoon, I would feed the hogs. But we loved them. We absolutely loved our hogs. Rule number four, be careful what you feed your hogs. If you feed your hogs dry crushed barley obtained from a local source, that dry crushed barley going into the hog looks exactly like the dry crushed barley coming out of the hog. You have to soak it overnight, something about the enzymes being activated. And do not overfeed your hogs. The prime feeding weight, the prime slaughter weight for a hog of this variety is 200 to 220 pounds. We surpassed that weight in early August and slaughtered them in mid-September. Our biggest hog was 317 pounds half again as large as it should have been. This not only makes it difficult to maneuver, it also makes it hard to kill. As summer waned and the rains came and leaves turned yellow, it became time to think about slaughtering the hogs. So I asked my next door neighbor, Kate, who is always ready for the zombie apocalypse and knows something about guns. I said, Kate, do you have a gun? She said, yes, I have a 38 Special. And I thought to myself, 38 Special, my only experience is the band that I saw in the mid-80s. And so I said, Kate, will you slaughter the hogs? And she said, no, I cannot. I have grown too attached to them. And I certainly couldn't slaughter the hogs because I loved the hogs. And so I asked Luke, I said, Luke, will you slaughter the hogs? And, and he said, well, Emily and I have been giving you slop to give to the hogs all summer, and I, I know I don't feel comfortable killing them, but I have a buddy named B-Jax from Wisconsin who is a hunter and has killed lots of stuff. 
So we made arrangements with BJAX, the Wisconsin hunter, to shoot the hogs, and he said yes. So September 16th was the date when, the allotted date when we were going to slaughter these hogs. It was a, it was a fall day, pretty outside, yellow leaves, 50 degrees. A Thursday afternoon, we agreed to meet at our house at 5 p.m. after work. So everybody showed up. Cheryl decided that she and the kids were not going to attend. Uh, they had loved the hogs too much, but Cheryl did stop over at Fred Meyer's and get a berry pie off of the discount rack that she said we thought might be useful. In attendance that night was me and Kate next door and Luke and Bjax and Emily, five o'clock. And we, we made a plan for how we would do this and uh, kind of took our places. So when the time came to slaughter the hogs, uh, Luke and Kate and I walked back to the hog pen and pie in hand opened the door. Out came Frances Bacon because she was the most assertive one. Uh, she came outside, we closed the door. We didn't want to shoot the hogs in front of the other ones. We, we didn't want the first two to see what happened to this guy. So, so I had the pie, I said, I said uh, come on out, and Francis Bacon did come out. We shut the door, and I walked across the yard. Luke on one side, Kate on the other, flanking Francis Bacon so she wouldn't get away. We walked across the house, over the driveway, and then down the hill, little hill, and found ourselves under the tree house. I looked around, we talked to everybody, made eye contact among all the people, and I set the pie on the ground. Now, when a hog eats dry, crushed barley, they move their head a bit. And we had planned for this. And I had told Bjax she might move her head a little bit. But when a hog eats a virgin berry pie that it has never eaten before, they move their head like this. <laughs> and so I looked at this and I and I thought, well, this is a problem, but it's not my problem because I'm not shooting the hog. And so I turned to Bjax and said, Bjax, it's time. And I stepped away. And Bjax stepped up to her and took the 38 special and planted it between her eyes as best he could. And he pulled the trigger and boom. And what I expected to happen was that hog would fall flat down on the ground, kick a little bit, and I would cut her neck to bleed her out. But what happened was, she stopped. And when that gun went off, she had a really thick, bony part of her head because of her 317 pounds, and she did not die. She looked at directly at Bjax because he had shot her. And then she looked directly at me because I had loved her. And she turned around and walked away to the middle of the yard. <laughs> And I looked at this and I said, Bjax, shoot her again. <laughs> and so he did, he followed her to the middle of the yard and by this time she was turning circles. And so he was kind of doing this and he shot her again in the head and she still did not die. But she started circling more and more. And I said, for God's sakes, Bjax, shoot her again. And he shot a third time. And she was moving so much, I do not believe that he shot her in the head. He might have shot her in the foot. I'm not sure, but he hit her because when he shot her, she sat down on her haunches and screamed. And this, this loudest 
hog screech I have ever heard in my life. It rattled the windows. It, 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 it started the dogs down the street howling. It turned my knees to jelly. And about that time, our friend Bob, who was late for the event, showed up and got out of his car, heard the gunfire, and dove behind the door for fear of ricocheting bullets. Three bullets didn't put her down. Francis Bacon ran up the hill and began thrashing against the side of my truck where Emily was sitting watching over things. I said, Bjax, for God's sakes, go shoot her again. Heart trembling. So he ran up to her and shot her behind the ear, and she dropped. I walked slowly up the hill, waited for her to stop kicking. And when she did stop kicking, I bent down to cut her neck. And as I did so, she, with the last ounce of her life force, gave one final kick of her back leg and planted it directly on my shin, which I found out later left a bruise about this big in the shape of Iowa. <laughs> and as I was laying down on the ground, I reached over and cut her neck and watched her lifeblood flow out of her. And when I lay there, writhing in pain, I looked at her life force flowing from her. I looked at Francis Bacon. I looked at Emily in the truck with blood spattered on her shirt. I looked at Luke and Kate standing there trembling. I looked at Bjax, mortified, tear in his eye and smoke coming out of the barrel. And it occurred to me that life is tenacious. Life wants to hang on. And if you are going to take a life, like every good farmer and every good hunter knows, you better respect that life. You better cherish it. Bjax was able to dispatch the other two hogs that night without incident by shooting them behind the ear. And in the subsequent years, I and other members of the Moose Mountain Celebrity Yard Farming Cooperative <laughs> dispatched many other hogs. But that first night, that first one, Francis Bacon, we gave her a bad death. And I will always be a little ashamed about that. But we did save her from life in a confined feedlot operation. And for, and for four and a half months, we loved her and raised her in our backyard and gave her a damn good life. And man, that's got to count for something. Thank you. story that so honestly shares a moment of your life of which you're not very proud and for teaching me a very important lesson always be suspicious if someone sets a berry pie down in front of you and backs away <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dark Winter Nights. Today's episode was edited by myself. The sound recording was by John Huff and Matt Hutter of Alaska Universal Productions. And our audio and story consultation was by Lori Neufeld. Remember, these are the stories we tell up here in Alaska, 
on Dark Winter Nights. I'm Rob Prince. Dark Winter Nights is produced with support from the University of Alaska Fairbanks Journalism Department, preparing the next generation of bold and talented journalists. UAF Journalism. Tell great stories. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dark Winter Nights. Want more Alaska stories? Check out the Dark Winter Nights podcast, available now on iTunes or online at darkwinternights.com. We need your Alaska stories. If you've got a great story to tell or know someone who does, head over to darkwinternights.com, where you can submit your idea and get more information about the program.